With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, February the 3rd. Brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things that you're geo-blocked from. For example, if you are a UK expat living abroad and you want access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you need to go and it will keep your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. Five-star ratings across the board. You do not have to be concerned about your data getting accessed by ne'er-do-wells and scallywags, as my granny would have called them. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code ROUTER50 to get your router half price at libertyshield.com. And with the Winter Olympics about to start, this really could be a good time to get yourself sorted if you want to watch what I think is going to be great fun. I think the Winter Olympics is brilliant crack, more so than the Summer Olympics. All of the the sledding events, bobsled, um, the luge and the skeleton are just insane to me. All the alpine downhill skiing is terrifying. The ski jumping, ice hockey, it's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So do check that out on libertyshield.com. Get yourself your VPN and get watching the BBC iPlayer and other good stuff like that. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 and RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, I am in good form today. I am in good form largely because Celtic 3, Rangers 0 in the Scottish Premiership last night. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Rangers were very excited. They were the team on top. They were the team that had just signed Aaron Ramsey. They were very excited. Told all day, going to win this game. Title charge is over. We'll win this one and we'll start to open up a lead. Ramsey's going to come in. We're getting this guy back and that guy back. And all of a sudden, five minutes in, Rio Hatete with a gorgeous 
half volley from the corner of the box, finds the bottom corner. Rangers players crying that somebody was lying on the ground, even though as the shot was struck, they were not aware that one of their own players was lying on the ground. Celtic absolutely annihilated them in the first half. It wasn't even a fair game. This was one team playing a completely different sport to the other. And I have to say, Angie Postacoglu, I was so wrong about this guy. His brand of football is the most entertaining thing that Scottish football has seen since Rangers of the mid to late 90s. Actually, sorry, the the early to mid 90s. The the Gascoigne, Brian Loudrup team. This Celtic team is the best since that. They're so much fun. I'm talking about in terms of the standard of football. Now, you could argue that Brendan Rodgers' team was better than this one, and I wouldn't debate it. But Brendan took over a team that had already won four league titles in a row in a league where there was no competition at all. Angie's taken over where Celtic were a dumpster fire when he took over. And he has built something really special in just six months. And it just got better and better. Hatete with an absolute hurler of a goal on 42, curling in from outside the box. And then he made the third, a great cross. And Abada, who looks a real promising player, coming in back post, blind run behind Barisic. Great, great goal. Great, great goal. And it was all over at half time. Rangers did come back into it a little bit, but it felt like Celtic were sitting back and allowing them to counterattack or allowing them to come on and then hitting on the counterattack. Rangers hit the crossbar, but aside from that, it was never really of concern. And like I say, I, I think Angie's just done an amazing job since taking over. He's already won one piece of silverware. He won the Scottish League Cup. Uh, they obviously beat Hibs in the final. They're into the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. They'll play Wraith Rovers and more on them in a minute in the uh, in that fifth round. Obviously, Europe didn't go great, but they're into the Conference League. They'll play Bodo Glimt and um, they'll have a shot. I mean, Bodo Glimt did wallop Roma in the Europa League or in the Conference League, but I, I, I still think Celtic will have a shot. But to be where they are in the league is outstanding. Top of the league, unbeaten in 5, 10, 15, 18. They lost three of their first six. and They haven't lost since. And they have just been playing incredibly good football. Incredibly good football. And when you look at the transfers that have been brought in this season. I mean, Liam Shaw, he's one that's a young player for the long term. He's out on loan at Motherwell, but he's someone that's very highly regarded, and they got him from Sheffield Wednesday in the summer. Joey Dawson's another young player brought in for the long term. Uh, Abada, 3.5 million, player I wasn't really aware of, 20 years of age, only just turned 20. He looks a real, real promising player. Eight goals, sorry, ten goals. Ten goals already this season in all competitions. Very, very exciting. 
he's a big one for the future. Furuhashi, what a player he looks already. He didn't even play last night. And Celtic just stomped all over Rangers. Carl Starfeld, he has been a tremendous addition at the back. He looks a really good defender, certainly at the Scottish Premiership level. Joe Hart, I mean, what a turnaround. What a turnaround for him. His career looked dead and buried. He was absolutely awful with Torino, terrible with West Brom, terrible with Burnley, went to Spurs, sat on the bench, only played some cup games. It looked like his career were over. Half a season under Angie, guy looks like prime Manuel Nauer. It's ridiculous. Guardiola just gave up on him. And it's crazy to think it's five years since he left Manchester City. He's only 34. Pep just gave up on him. He was England's number one. And Pep just gave up on him. And he's just been reborn this year. It's great to see. James McCarthy's done bits in midfield. I really, really like Juranovic, the right back. He's a lot of fun to watch. Jota, the midfielder in on loan from Benfica, plays out wide for them. I hope they get to keep him. He's been great to watch. Cameron Carter-Vickers, a player whose career really had stagnated on a bunch of loans from Tottenham. I'm hopeful that Celtic will get to keep him. He's already 24. He needs to settle somewhere. And like when you look at since 2017, he's been on loan at Sheffield United, Ipswich, Swansea, Stoke, Luton, Bournemouth, and now Celtic. He needs to settle somewhere and get regular game time. And I hope it is Celtic because he's playing very, very well this season. Giacumis, another one who looks the absolute business. 2.5 million, 27. He does. He hasn't scored a lot of goals yet, but his movement, his off-ball stuff is really impressive. The three Japanese lads that were brought in in, in the January window, Hateta already looks like he might be the best player in the league. Um, Idaguchi I haven't seen yet. And Maeda looks very impressive. So really excited by the three of them. Johnny Kenny brought in from Sligo Rovers. He's only 18. He's a kid. He's very highly regarded. And then this Matt O'Reilly kid. I mean, what a talent. What a talent. Just on a different level to everything in Scottish football. And I didn't realise this. I knew he'd come through Fulham's academy. My assumption was he hadn't made the grade there and he just left and gone to um, MK Dons. I didn't realise that one of the reasons he didn't make the grade there is because Scott Parker, who was the manager at the time, decided to sign Harry Arthur instead of giving minutes to O'Reilly. O'Reilly left the club, didn't sign for anybody for six months, was training with MK Dons, and eventually they just signed him. And in the 12 months he was there, he was just brilliant for them. And Celtic got him for a million and a half. But back to Scott Parker. I didn't realise Harry Arthur was Scott Parker's brother-in-law. I had no idea that was the case. So Scott Parker, who was the manager of Fulham, entrusted with overseeing Fulham, basically spurned one of their young talents to sign his brother-in-law, who's really not a good footballer. I mean, Harry Arthur 
is at this point in his career, and certainly at that point in his career, well past being useful. He'd been on loan at Cardiff. It hadn't gone particularly well. Uh, he's currently owned by Forrest on loan at Charlton. Harry Atta was a very good player for Bournemouth when they were in the lower leagues. And then that first season in the, championship, in the Premier League, he was pretty decent. And then he sort of got found out as not really being Premier League quality. And yet, in the Championship, Fulham, rather than playing a young player that was homegrown and clearly very talented, decided to sign Harry Arthur. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Scotty Tucholtz has a lot to answer for. But yeah, I mean, it's been brilliant at Celtic. Loads of turnover. Now, some disappointing things in terms of outgoings. Um, certainly Leo Hjeld's been allowed to leave on the cheap. Disappointed me. I, I was upset when Ryan Christie left, but we haven't missed him at all. Uh, Odson Edward going was a big blow because he'd been so good. But again, haven't really missed him. Ayer, haven't missed him. Brought in a lot of money for those players. And rather than, you know, going and spurning a big amount on one or two, they've gone and really spread that money around. Abada three and a half, Furuhashi four and a half, Starfeld four, Juranovic two and a half, Giacumicus two and a half, Hatete 1.4, O'Reilly 1.5. So made a pretty sizable profit, considering they also sold Jack Hendry, uh, Bayo, Marion Schved, who never got opportunities at the club for one reason or another. I, I genuinely don't know what those reasons are. Um, Sold a lot of players, brought in quite a bit of money, and uh, and have spent really well. And this team are a whole lot of fun. And it all goes to, all credit goes to that manager, Angie Postacoglu. What a brilliant job he's done. And when you look at his career, I mean, he did brilliant work with Brisbane Roar, but that was you know nine years before he took over at Celtic. He did well in Japan. But again, you're looking at, you know, the Australian League, the Japanese League, the Australian national team for a few years. And you're wondering, why has he never come to Europe before if he's this good? And, well, it's because he's just a bit different. He just does his own thing. And he's Greek-born. Um, so, you know, nice to see nice to see him back in Europe for the first time since he was five years of age when he emigrated. But, yeah, I mean, what an absolute gem. What an absolute gem. I am very much enjoying Celtic this season. They were unwatchable under Neil Lennon. And Rodgers, you know my feelings on Rodgers. Rodgers had turned me off and I couldn't really enjoy the success under Brendan. But, oh, this is great stuff under Angie. It really, really is. And I'm, I'm very much enjoying watching Celtic. And anytime you can beat Rangers, it's great. You know, they won their one league title in the history last year. They got all excited. And um, now they're back in their place. Second in the league behind the mighty Celts. Anyway, this is not a Scottish Premier League podcast. It is a Premier... It's not a Scottish Premiership podcast. It is a Premier League podcast. But it's my podcast, so I'll I'll, I'll go my own way. Uh, Premier League-wise, Ralph Raniak in his press conference today confirmed Mason Greenwood's suspension. And did say that that was the reason that Jesse Lingard was not allowed to leave. That the decision was taken to suspend Greenwood and that that's why they made Jesse Lingard stay, despite having told him they could leave. 
I told him he could leave. And uh, yeah, uh, tough for Lingard, but United had to do something. And I think they've, I think they've done this right. I, I do think they've done this right. Uh, a blow for Brentford. Thomas Frank has COVID and is likely to miss their FA Cup game at the weekend. Uh, West Brom. Yesterday I said, you know, they sacked Ishmael. Yukanovic's name has been mentioned. Uh, no, no, no. Steve Bruce is the manager they're going to be bringing in. So what they're doing is Ishmael had become very unpopular with the fan base. Results had obviously st- stopped going in their in their way. And the football was was very, very bad. Like, very, very bad. So what they're doing is they're going to appoint a manager who has been so despised by two of the last three clubs he's managed at that he has basically resigned his post because of the fan pressure. In the end, like at Villa, they were throwing turnips at him. At Newcastle, the abuse he took, and I said this at the time it happened, the abuse he took was out of line. But he is not the guy you want if you want to get your fan base back on on side. And he was at Sheffield Wednesday in between those two clubs. And I wouldn't imagine he's very popular there either, having walked out on Wednesday uh, after making a bunch of big promises to them. So you do just have to wonder who is making decisions. At West Bromwich Albion. Like who who is making these decisions? Who's had a look around and thought, yeah, Steve Bruce, he's the guy for us. He's the one we want. Like, on what planet is Steve Bruce the guy you want in any situation? Now, they're not the only club about to make a questionable managerial appointment. Sunderland seem to be on the verge of appointing Roy Keane. Now, I love Roy Keane. My my devotion to Roy Keane, I think, is well known. But Roy Keane hasn't managed in nearly 11 years. He left Ipswich in 2011. And it didn't go well there. Now, he did obviously manage Sunderland before. And it did go really well to begin with. He took them over when they were doing dreadfully in the championship and took them straight up. Then he kept them up. And then it started to fall apart and he started to fall out with people. But he did far more good than bad there. But it's been a long time since he was manager. And I know he's been an assistant manager in the interim. He was assistant manager of an Irish team that got to a major tournament. They played god-awful football, but they did get to a major tournament. He was assistant manager at Aston Villa under Paul Lambert. He was assistant manager of Martin O'Neill under at Nottingham Forest, and obviously it didn't go very well either. Gabby Agbon Lahore, that just you know boffin of of wisdom, was on talk sport doing what he does, dribbling out of them, talking utter rubbish, um, saying that you know Keane's man management is is zero out of a hundred, and he didn't speak to players with enough respect. I would suggest his man management towards a Gabby Agbonlahor, who's one of the great wastes of talent of the last 20 years. When Gabby broke through, he looked like he was going to be a real a real player. And I know Villa fans will say he's the highest goal scorer they've had in the Premier League era, but his highest in a season is 13. 
that's you know I think I think it was Gary, uh, Ali McCoy said I used to call that August. Mo Salah calls that the warm up to the main part of the season. Uh, Bon Lahore could have been so much more, but never could never get out of his own way. I think he got too much money too early and, and lost the run of himself. Um, I, I do find it interesting to see him, you know, come out and say he he admits he was in, in training one day they were doing a shooting drill. And he was complaining about the way the shooting drill was set up. And Keane stepped forward and asked him a question. And he said, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the manager. Well, what that says to me, Gabby, is that your attitude was all wrong, which is something that's been pointed at you for most of your career. And that maybe you should address your own issues before you project onto others. Is Roy Keane a particularly good manager? I don't know. I don't know. Will he get those players motivated to play? You can absolutely bet yourself that he will. He will likely fall out with them all in time, but what happens in the interim is what's important. It's a strange appointment, there's no doubt. Like I say, so Sunderland have money behind them now, so we'll wait and we'll see what happens. Um, I'm hopeful for Keane that it goes well. I really am. Sadio Mane sent Senegal to the AFCON final last night. A goal and an assist against Burkina Faso in a 3-1 win. Mane was absolutely outstanding. And um, I, I think a, you know a, a showdown between him and Salah would be fun in the final. Now, Abubakar of Cameroon has come out and said he doesn't particularly rate Mo Salah, which, I mean, you know, that's up to you. But you're not fit to waste to, to lace his boots, which is in part why you're playing in Saudi Arabia at the age of 30. And when you were leaving Besiktas, that's the best offer you could get. Um, it's one of the reasons Porto binge you off and didn't want anything to do with you. You are not fit to lace the boots of Mo Salah and probably shouldn't utter his name unless previously directed to do that. Yes, you may have done well in the Turkish League. You may have had a couple of good seasons in the Portuguese League and one good season in France. But Mo Salah has had five great seasons in the Premier League and two and a half in Italy and is just a much, much better player than you'll ever be. Uh, you are a cart horse and he's one of the best players in the world, probably the best player in the world right now. So you should keep your mouth shut, Mr. Bubakar, and just get on with it. And uh, you do what you do best, score penalties. And uh, that's enough of him for today. Um, we'll take our break. When we come back, we have a few questions to get through and we'll have the gossip and we'll be done today nice and early. Speak to you soon. Right, welcome back. So, from Adam Hanlon, the curious case of Delhi Ali. Where did it all go wrong and why? In part, it went wrong because he was overplayed as a young player. And if you, 
you can nearly trace the moment where it started to go downhill for Delhi, which is the 2018 World Cup, where he went into the competition with an injury, shouldn't have played, he had a thigh injury, shouldn't have played, was played pretty much every game in the World Cup, did not play well in that World Cup, came back to Spurs with the injury and then continued to play over and over that season. Delhi is, or Delhi was at that time, one of the most highly regarded young players in world football. He just turned 22. He was coming off three excellent seasons, one of which, the second of which was spectacular for Spurs. But he had three excellent seasons after two very good seasons at MK Don. So you're looking at a guy who at 22 basically had five full seasons of football. 37 games, 44 games, 46, 50 and 50, as well as England caps. He had over 30 England caps by the end of that World Cup at 22. And he just, he has never been the same since. In 1819, he was still good, but he clearly wasn't at the same level. He struggled for goals. He struggled for fitness. 1920, he had a bit of a run that kind of disguised what a bad season he had. Last season was poor, this season. He started well. He was really good in the first couple of games, and then he kind of dropped off. But it does just come down to him being overplayed. And if you look, he hasn't played for England since 2019. He did just sort of begin to tumble down the cliff in 1819, similar to Spurs, but with some big game performances put in that kind of disguised it, as did their uh, Champions League final run. And then the last three years just have been nothing like what we were seeing from him before. Like those first three years at Spurs, 15-16, 16-17 in particular, and 18-19, or sorry, 17-18, he was just outstanding. He's an absolutely outstanding footballer. Scoring goals for fun, creating goals. His partnership with Kane was great. He had brilliant link-up with Ericsson, brilliant link-up with Young min Son. That front four were tremendous, as good as anything in the league at that time. But he was overplayed. And he played through injuries. And he's, whether his confidence went, because for a time he couldn't perform at the same level, I don't know. He certainly stagnated. I think there's been some other issues as well at the club. We've also seen a drop-off from Spurs in general. Uh, they're not clearly not the same team they were prior to his drop-off either. Uh, Kane and Son have continued to play well. But look at the rest of that team. Like, if you take a look at the Champions League final in 2019 against Liverpool, and you look at the teams that played... So Liverpool's team, Allison still there, Trent still there, Matip still there, Van Dijk still there, Robertson still there, Henderson still there, Fabinho still there, Wijnaldum is gone, Salah is still there, Firmino is still there, Mane is still there. Ten of the starters are still there. Now there's been a lot of turnover in terms of the players that were named on the bench. Kelleher is still there, Gomez is there, Milner is there, Ox is there, and Origi is there. So that's five. Five of the subs are still there. Seven have gone. So eight of the 22, eight of the 23 are gone. You look at Spurs, 
Larice is still there. Trippier is gone. Alderweireld is gone. Vertonghen is gone. Rose is gone. Sissoko is gone. Winks is there. Delhi was still there. Sun and Kane. Now take Delhi out. There's four of them left. But while Delhi was there, there's only five of them left. And even on the bench, Vorm is gone. Gasaniga is gone. Sanchez is still there. Walker Peters is gone. Foyt is gone. Aurier is gone. Davies is still there. Lamella is gone. Wanyama is gone. Dyer is still there. Mora is still there. And Loriente is gone. So, one, two, three, four of the subs. So, only nine of their 23 are still there. Nine of the 23. So, 13 of them have left for different reasons in not even three, in two and a half years. That's part of why Spurs fell off. But, and obviously the managers changed as well. And, and it's not just that they got a new manager and he's still there. They got Mourinho, he's been gone. They got Nuno, he's gone. They're on their third manager since then. And Poch managed a few months after it. So in theory, they've had four managers in the spell since. This is why Spurs have been so chaotic. And this is in part why Delhi has fallen off. That and been overplayed. That's that's basically it, in my view anyway. Um, I'm fairly co- confident Liverpool can get Aurelien Chumeni in the summer. But if they don't, who are a few of the options they, we should target for a Fabinho backup? Kamara on a free seems a good fallback. I think Bubakar Kamara on a free would be outstanding. He can play as a backup to Fabinho. He can cover you right back and left back if you need. He's also a good centre-back. So he could fill a bunch of needs. He could be a utility defensive player. He would be the one, I think. Um, You could go someone experienced. You could look at a William Carvalho. He would probably be available fairly cheap. Uh, Age-wise, he's a little bit older than what we'd normally do. He'll be 30 by the summer. But, you know, for two years, he could be a decent fill-in. I really like... See, I like Bentoncourt. He would have been on my list. But he's gone. So he won't be an option now. Um... I really like the kid Danilo at Palmieri's. He's very, very good. Left-footed holding midfielder can also play as an eight. He's one I would look at. I do like him. So he's he's someone to keep an eye on um, if if and when he comes to Europe. But I, I think we'll get many. I do. I, I think we'll get many. So, you know, the other, oh, other options I'd have are the likes of Maxens Kakarat, who isn't a holding midfielder, so you'd look to bring in that holder as well. Uh, he's more of a Thiago sort of like-for-like replacement. Um, there's also some talk that Mane is off in the summer, which could be fairly ag- accurate. I know you've previously said he could end up at PSG, but surely he'll have plenty of options. Who do you think he'd suit and who else could afford him? So it's the who could afford him that's the most important thing. So... You look at the Bundesliga, only Bayern could afford him. Do they need him? No. They've got Gnabry, they've got Sané, they've got Coleman. He's not needed there. So you can rule out the the Bundesliga. 
In the French League, it's only really PSG who can afford him unless Nice decide to do something mad because they could afford him. They're rich enough. Their owner's rich enough anyway. But he's not going to go to Nice. So it's PSG or bust. Do PSG need him? If Mbappe leaves, it wouldn't be a bad a bad replacement. In Syria, yeah, it's odd. Juve could afford him because Juve will always find money. Do they need him? No, because they've got Chiesa. Now, I would still love Chiesa at Liverpool. Even with the signing of Diaz, I'm greedy, I'm greedy and I would like Chiesa. I just find a way to make it work. Um, so if he were to leave, then maybe there. But other than that, no. Juventus don't need him. Uh, Milan probably don't have that kind of money. Inter definitely don't have that kind of money with the way their finances are at the moment. I don't see Roma having that type of money. Atalanta certainly won't. Lazio won't. So unless Juventus felt the need for him, there's no move there. Then you look at La Liga. So Sevilla could definitely use Mane, but they won't spend that type of money on one player. So you can rule them out. Atleti could do with Mane. And maybe they're the team that would be willing to spend the money. There has been some talk that Joao Felix could leave in the summer. And if he does, that would probably bring in the money to, to, to buy Mane. Maybe there's a deal to be done that sends Joao Felix to Liverpool and, and Mane and Cash to Atleti. Mane's a better player now than Joao Felix, but Joao Felix is a lot younger and has much longer in his contract, whereas Mane would only have a year left, which is why they'd have to be Cash. So Atleti could be one option. Barcelona, maybe. I mean, I don't know how they'd find the money, but you know how these clubs are. And Mane in as a first-choice starter, obviously, but also as a sort of mentor to Ansu Fati, that could be interesting. Barca's one to keep an eye on. Real have the money, but they don't need him. They have Vinicius. They're going to get Mbappe. They have Rodrigo. I, I don't see that. So I would say you're looking at PSG, Atleti, Barca, and I don't think there's anyone else. I don't think there's anyone else. Unless Napoli decided, because they, they have spent big in the past, unless Napoli decided to go big on a replacement for Insigne, then I don't see it. And I'm not really sure they would be willing to spend big on Mane to replace Insigne when you consider Mane's only, what, a year younger? Uh, Insigne is 31 this summer. Mane is 30 in April. So there's less than a year between them. There's 10 months between them. So, that you, yeah, you can rule them out as well. Juventus, if they decide to do something silly with Chiesa, Atleti, is a strong one, I think. He'd really suit he'd really suit Simeone. And Barca, perhaps, but I still think PSG is the most likely. I still think PSG is the most likely. Um right, what else do we have? I've got one cent here. 
Jane Easy for Sheezy. Got a question for the pod today. Uh, say Bellingham isn't available and Chuamani joins someone else, but Liverpool are still prepared to spend big on a midfielder. Who would be your choice? See, I don't know that I would. Like, there's part of me that would love us to bring in Milinkovic Savic and move to 4 2 3 1 and play him as a 10 with Fabinho and Thiago behind. If Mane stays, Mane goes right wing, Diaz left wing, Salah through the middle, and then Jota is like your fourth forward for those kind of three wide roles. You can also play him instead of Milinkovic Savage with Mane maybe playing in the 10. So I, I, I'm still fascinated by what he would be in the Premier League. Nicola Borello or Nicolo Borella would be one for certain. I don't know if you could prize him away from Inter Milan, but I, I, I love watching him play. He's so, so good. I will live on the Saul train forever, so I would take Saul without question. I maintain that he would be perfect for Liverpool, despite what's happened at Chelsea. But his recent performances for Chelsea have been excellent, so it's just a matter of Tuchel giving him more games. Um, I think we'd all love Joshua Kimmich if he became available, or Goretzka, but Goretzka's recently re-signed. I think Kimmich is in the process of doing so. Kamavinga or Valverde, if you could prize either of them away from Real Madrid, I would happily take either. I would take Frankie de Jong from Barca if they decide to do something stupid. So there is a bunch. There is a bunch that I'd happily see us take. But alternatively, what I would like us to do is go and get Carney Chukwameka from, from Aston Villa on a cheap deal. He'd only have one year left on his contract. And Bubakar Kamara on a free from uh, Marseille. I mentioned Maxens Kakaret earlier on. I would happily take him. Absolutely love watching him play. But again, he's more of a more of a Thiago regen. If I could pick one, I would probably go Malinkovic Savage. I probably would. Just because I think he'd be a lot of fun in that number 10 role. Or Barella. Because a Barella, Fabinho, Thiago midfield would be just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, we have a few on the Discord as well. Flatsy can confirm the Bayern Doco series is great. It is. The Bayern Munich documentary series on Amazon is absolutely brilliant. Absolutely sensational. It covers the last few months of Hansi Flick's time in charge. And you can see the reasons why he left. Uh, the media pressure, the constant invasion, the relationship with Salihamidzic clearly was not good. Uh, he comes off, Hassan Salihamidzic comes off as a bit of a jackass at times. In it. Uh, you'll gain uh, a new respect for Oliver Kahn, who's a completely different person as a football executive than he was as a footballer. Uh, there's really good, um, really good interviews that are kind of spliced. A couple of interviews done with Rumaniga that are spliced through it, a couple with Uli Hunas that are spliced through it. There's loads of former Bayern managers, Hitzfeld, P- 
Pep, uh, Jupp Heynckes, they, they're all interviewed throughout. Klopp makes a couple of appearances. He obviously had one sit down and they spliced it through. But it is brilliant. And it's not just about the, the team. It's about the club as a whole. And it goes really in depth on how they run, how they operate, how they've grown to where they are, what their future plans are, what they're looking to do. The calibre of facilities they have is sensational across the board. Um, but yeah, you will you will really, really get a, an in-depth look at Bayern Munich, the, the team and the club with this one. And you see some interesting little things like David Alaba did not want to leave. Did not want to leave. Jerome Boateng did not want to leave. Uh, Salah Hamasic absolutely loves Chupa Motang. Loves him. The players love him as well for his personality and his work rate. But Hassan Salahamazic, I can't speak. Hassan Salahamazic seems to think he's a great player, which, you know, he with respect, he's not. Um, but there's some interesting things just in, in bits about Thomas Muller and about uh, Robert Lewandowski. And Lewandowski talking to somebody. They were asking him to make more runs in the penalty box. And he was explaining to them his movement, how he finds he can get free in the box by not moving. That if he stands still, defenders tend to forget about him. And then he makes his run late. And just little things like that. Leroy Sané, interesting on adapting to life at Bayern and the pressures. And there's some good backstory about how some of the younger players, mid-20s now, but how they all came up to the German national teams together and things like that. It's brilliant, and it's you know it looks back through the history of Bayern, where they came from, how they got to where they are, some of the big egos, the big names. Beckenbauer's interviewed, Lothar Matthäus interviewed. It's great. It's absolutely great. Make sure you watch it. Do not watch the dubbed version that Amazon will try and push on you with some American fella talking over it because absolutely not. It it's really awkward to listen to a dubbed thing where you can still hear. Hansi Flick talking in German and then there's some guy translating it in, in an American accent over him. So that's a no for me. Watch it in German with subtitles. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Raghav, what's your take on Balotelli's resurgence? And overall, do you think even his peak he was a bit limited? I know he had a brilliant shooting technique and physical attributes, but, his, but was basic in his gameplay as in give him the ball and he'll do something. I disagree. I disagree. Balotelli was a great passer of the ball, good dribbler, powerful. His hold-up play and link play were outstanding. No, I completely disagree. Mario should have become the best number nine in the world. He had everything to become the best number nine in the world. Like, you look at Lewandowski and, and Benzema, they, they're not as talented as Mario was. Um, I, I'm happy to see him having a, a resurgence. Uh, Brian X, Liverpool have been linked with Matthias Cunha and suggestions of Darwin Nunes. Would you have a go at Jonathan David? Also, just for yourself, keep an eye on Marcus Edwards, who's just moved from sport to sporting from Vitor Gomes. Marcus Edwards was the big talent at Spurs for a couple of years. It didn't work there. Obviously went to, to Vittoria Gomes. And did brilliantly there. And now going on to sporting. I really hope he does well. I really hope he does well. I think that's going to be fun to watch him in that team under Amarim. 
who I think is one of the best young managers, not the best young manager in the world. So a lot of fun. Would I take Jonathan David? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love his movement. I love the way he plays. I would take Cunha over him because I think Cunha's upside might be a little bit higher. But David is, and Cunha will be a little bit cheaper, I think. David is definitely more polished now. Uh, but I would take Darwin Nunes over an either because I, I would love a proper number nine. Um, AMK2889, relating to your segment about the top 20 Premier League teams and where they would finish, how hard was it to leave Coventry out? I know you talk about them a lot. It was hard. It was very hard. But when I looked at their best seasons, I couldn't find one that would make it worth putting them in over, let's say, Norwich in that season they finished in the top three or Nottingham Forest the season they finished in the top three and things like that. So that's why it was tough. I, I, I have always had a soft spot for Coventry and it was very tough to leave them out. Uh, also, with the way money and transfers have been thrown around in the game right now, how much more appreciation should there be and how rare will a one-club player be? Do you think the likes of Trent Rashford Foden and Ansu Fati become one club players. Um, Trent, yes. Now, when we say one club players, I think there's a chance that all of them at the end of their career end up in America. Go to the MLS and, and do their thing there for a year or two. Um, but I think I don't see Trent playing for another European club. I don't see Foden playing for another European club. Anzu Fati, I'm not sure on. I I really worry about that kid and the injuries he's picked up. And there's talk of another operation, which, given how long he was out the last time, really isn't good. Rashford, I could see leaving. Rashford's one I could see leaving in a few years and maybe going abroad. I don't think he'd play for anyone else in England. Certainly not directly. I don't think United would sell him to an English club anyway. But he's one I could see going abroad. I just think maybe the pressure, how badly run the club have been and all of that. I don't know that he would want to waste his entire career at United. Um, Jay Carlos, what has happened with Ginny Wijnaldum at Paris Saint-Germain? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. He he hasn't... The role for Ginny at PSG should be the same role that he has for... Had, that he had for Liverpool, which is to be that kind of secondary defensive midfielder to allow Verratti, say, and the front three to do what they do. But Pochettino... I, I don't think Pochettino is doing a particularly good job. I look at PSG and I think Pochettino is struggling quite substantially there. Um, Mike Wynn, thoughts on Wijnaldum potentially been left out of the Champions League squad. What is her team lineup likely to be? I don't know what to make of that, that story that he could be left out of the Champions League squad. That's really weird to me. Really, really weird that they, that, that could happen. In terms of what the team... I still think he's part of their best 11. I'm sorry, I, I just do. I think with... Ver, with Paredes should be the, the six. With Verratti and Wijnaldum either side of him. In my opinion, that should be the midfield three. With 
Messi, Mbappe and Neymar as the front three. Now, it's a lot of work required by that midfield, but if you've got that team, you might as well just go full-on attack and try and just destroy teams. There's no point in tickling them. You might as well just go and try and kill them. So that's what I would do. Wijnaldum gives you the balance and an outball. Verratti and Paredes will dictate play, similar to how they do for the Italian team. Uh, sorry, how, for how Verratti does for the Italian team, with Paredes playing that Jorginho role. And it would leave Wijnaldum in sort of the Barella role, less attacking, but doing a lot of the work and the, and the, the ball winning. In defence, I mean, Hakimi, obviously. Marquinhos, obviously. Nuno Mendes has to be getting every start at left-back moving forward. And I would play Abdou Diallo over Kimpembe because Kimpembe has declined enormously. I would fire Sergio Ramos from a cannon directed towards the Arctic Circle and I would play Donnarumma in goal. I, I don't understand the logic in Wijnaldum not being part of the squad after Christmas. I don't think it happens. If I'm being honest, I don't think it happens. Like, they haven't bought anybody in January. And they've let Rafinha go. So I just don't see what the logic would be in moving him on. Sergio Rico's also gone. I just, I don't see, I don't see it. I, th I think Wijnaldum makes it. Simple as that. I think he makes it into the squad. Um... Isaac Gilding, 25 years ago in 1997, the Premier League obviously looked very different. I would like to know each team's best player was, in your opinion, at the time. Also, if those players were active now, which current Premier League teams do you think could use them the most? Always top McManaman and this Liverpool team would be unreal, for example. Right, so we're talking about the 1996-97 Premier League. Let's go and have a gander of what we're looking at here. So, um, Arsenal, it's Dennis Burkamp. At that time, it's Dennis Burkamp. Um, in this current iteration of the Premier League, Manchester City would be the ideal. Imagine him as that false nine, able to move, drop in wherever, wherever he wants with all that movement and quality around him he would be great there so i'd say i'd say dennis burkamp and manchester city aston villa huh mid 90s villa let's have a look 96 97 aston oh god i put an 1896 1996 Well, Paul McGrath had left. It's it's Dwight York. It's Dwight York. Garrett Southgate would be close. Ekiog was very good. Mark Draper was a, was a quite a good player as well, but it is Dwight York. Um, Dwight York had really started to establish himself as a high-end player. That season, he got 17 goals. He got 17 the year before. Yeah, Dwight York for for Aston Villa, I think, is is the only real answer there. Uh, Blackburn Rovers, I would say probably Chris Sutton 
Um, and Graham Lasseau was still very good at that point. Shearer was gone. Flowers was still good. Um, but I think Sutton probably is the answer here. Young Damien Duff also in the squad. But, yeah, I'll go Chris Sutton, probably the best player. The following season was a better year for him. He scored 18 and 35. That year he got 11 and 25, missed a chunk through injury. But, yeah, I'll say I'll say Chris Sutton. Um, Chelsea, managed by the one and the only Ruud Hullet. They were... A cup team, very much a cup team. They won the FA Cup that year. Hullet was still good, but Frank LeBuff was brilliant. Um, Viali was a little bit past his best. Di Matteo, certainly worth consideration. Ah, Zola. It's, yeah, it's Zola. I haven't been telling you who they should play for. Uh, Dwight York would be... Dwight York would be a really nice fit in this Liverpool team as the as the number nine. Dwight York could play in the City team as the nine. Dwight York could play in the Arsenal team as the nine because he could do a bit of everything. Um, Chris Sutton. Brighton. Chris Sutton at Brighton. Zola, anybody. Anybody in the league right now would love to have a Gianfranco Zola. As a second striker who could play as an inside forward coming in from the left in a 4-3-3. Just a wonderful, wonderful player. Uh, Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea. Him off Lukaku. Death for the league. Might finally get Lukaku rolling. But yeah, Zola would be the one for them. Uh, Coventry City. Managed by big Ron Atkinson. Uh, who loved nothing more than to sign a fella from Crystal Palace for about 1.4 million. That was kind of his gig. Uh, Richard Shaw came from there. I think John Salako came from there. Uh, I don't know, was Peter Undlove the best player there at that point? He probably was, if not him, Dion Dublin. Or Gary McAllister was still there. Now, it was 32-year-old McAllister. This is before he went to Liverpool, remember. He went from Leeds to Coventry. And no one expected them. They were wearing ugly striped shirts, if anyone remembers those ugly striped shirts. Um, I want to say it was Peter Undlove, because I, I really liked Peter Undlove. It could have been Dion Dublin. It could have been Gary McAllister. Undlove would be a really good inside forward now, cutting in from the left, from the, from the right-hand side onto his left foot, or playing as a, a traditional left winger. Either way, um, so he could play for pretty much the whole league. Uh, Dion Dublin could also play centre-back. And I think in the league now, he's probably a centre-back. Gary McAllister is exactly what Arsenal need, a progressive midfielder. So you take your pick from those three. But uh, all excellent players. Um, I was wrong. Big Ron wasn't there. It was Gordon Strachan. <coughs> it was Gordon Strachan. Uh, Derby, Igor Stimac was there. Paul McGrath signed that season as well. So you could take either of them. I believe the best player, though, was Asanovic, the other Croatian who'd arrived along with Stimac. This is when the league was really getting 
very, very, um, what is the right word? Um, metropolitan, you know, multinational, diverse. I mean, in that squad there at Derby, you've got two Croatians, two Dutch, a Dane, a Paddy, Christian Daly, who was actually a decent player, um, Marcio Solis, who is from, I want to say, Costa Rica. Paolo Wanchop, also from Costa Rica. He might have been the best player there. And Mark Poom, who was from Estonia. Uh, was it Wanchop? Wanchop was the next season he really took off and got 13. That season, I would say Asanovic. Asanovic is brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant footballer. People talk about the wand of a left foot. He had a wand of a left foot. Sensational. Everton. Everton in the late, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, not a whole lot to be excited about for the Ev. They, they'd won their cup, so that was them for the next 26 years. Gary Speed. Gary Speed. I take Nick Barnby as an answer either. He was very good, but I think Gary Speed would have to be the one. Now, some will say Duncan Ferguson, and I will tell them that they're wrong. I will refute them. Gary Speed could play for anybody in the league. As a, as a number eight, as a left-sided midfielder in a four, Gary Speed, without question. Tremendous player who was taken from us far too young, obviously. And... Um, had had shown that he might have been a good manager as well. Uh, Leeds United. Oh. Tony Yeboah. Is he still? Was that one of his good seasons or his bad season? No, this was his bad season. Um, Lee Sharp. Lucas Radaby, probably. Yeah, I would say. Oh, Harry. It was a young Harry Kuehl. I would say Lucas Radaby. Yeah, I'll go Lucas Radaby. He was a very, very good centre-back, and I think he could comfortably play for any of the... anyone up to and including West Ham. Now, I don't know... Yeah, anyone up to and including West Ham. Yeah. Lucas Radaby was a very good player. So him... Uh, Liverpool, it is McManaman and he could play for anybody absolutely anybody in the league right now he would be sensational young McManaman as that as that winger who just beat players for fun mid-twenties McManaman as that number 10 or late McManaman, the Real Madrid version who played in centre midfield any version of McManaman was great and could play for anyone in the Premier League uh, I did skip Leicester City I think it's probably Neil Lennon. I would struggle to think of anyone in that squad who was better than Neil Lennon. Heskey was too young. Muzzy as it wasn't better. Steve Guppy wasn't better. Gary Parker had been a great player, but was at the end of his career at that point. Um, still played a lot, though, to be fair. He was a tremendous player. How he never got an England cap, I don't know. Brilliant pass for the ball. Brilliant, brilliant pass for the ball. 
Um, I, I'll I'll say Neil Lennon for Leicester, and again he could play for most of the teams in the league. You know, bustly, ball-winning midfielder, box to box, plenty of energy, plenty of fight. Uh, a better footballer than a manager for a certain. Uh, Manchester United at that point it's Roy Keane, and again Roy Keane could play for anybody in the league. Roy Keane could have played for absolutely anybody in the league. So it is Roy uh, Middlesbrough. This is the mental Middlesbrough season, isn't it? This is the season they go down and uh, and get to the two cup finals. So the answer is Janino. And the club that would most suit him, I think, is City. Though I'm not sure where he would play, play him instead of Grealish. Uh, he, he would make it work. He, he would make it work. He was a great player. But yeah, he'd play for anybody. He was absolutely brilliant. Um... Newcastle, it's Alan Shearer, and again, he can play for anybody in the league. Just an absolutely sensational player. Didn't know how to do anything else other than score goals, and was just one of the best I've ever seen at scoring goals. Absolutely phenomenal number nine. Powerful, great hold of play, worked the channels, just harassed centre-backs endlessly. Tremendous player. Um, Nottingham Forest, Pierre van Hooydonk, was this the, the good season? This was the good season. No. This is the season he joined midway. Next season he was their best player. That season... God, they had some dross. Andreas Salinzi, does anyone remember him? He was awful. Alfie Haaland was very good. I'm I'm I don't really want to pick Brian Roy because he's a an absolute lunatic now. Uh Steve Stone. Steve Stone. hundred percent Steve Stone. He was really, really good. He'd be a right back now, and I think he'd start for most of the teams in the league. He had dreadful trouble with his knee. I think he had like two or three ACL tears, but even and back then that was awful. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was broken legs, broken legs, three broken legs as a young player, and then another broken leg a little bit later on. Uh, moved to Villa a couple of years later and didn't do very well there, but he was twenty-eight and had had you know three broken legs. Uh, but yeah, Steve Stone, he was he was really good. He, he established himself in the England team at that point. Um, he, was part of the Euro 96 team. Yeah. Steve Stone. Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I don't think Benito, Benito Carboni was there. Was the Canio there? First team squad. Carboni was there. So it is Carboni. Um, shout out to Reggie Blinker. He was fun to watch. Not very effective, but fun. Uh, Steve Nickel. I didn't realize he was still clinging about then. Yeah, Steve Nickel. Steve Nickel, in terms of overall, who, who had the best career of any player there? Steve Nickel. But of the players in that team, it's Benito Carboni. Worth mentioning Dejan Stefanovic, who was a really good centre-back. They signed him with Darko Kovacic. 
the summer of 95, two really highly regarded players. And they were both really good, but neither of them really worked out for Wednesday. And Stefanovic had to be released on a free transfer because he couldn't get another work permit. But he was a really good ball-playing centre-back. Left-footed, if I'm not mistaken. He ended up coming back to the Premier League with Portsmouth, and he was good for them, really good for them. Uh, he'd spent a few years, with four years with Vietas Arnhem in, in the interim, played for Fulham, played for Norwich. Stefanovic would go on to be very, very good, but yeah, Benito Carboni was, he was loads of fun. Loads and loads of fun. Mental, and had an insane career. Torino, three different loans, then a season with Torino again. Then Napoli, Inter, Sheffield Wednesday, Aston Villa, Bradford, loan to Derby, loan to Middlesbrough, Como, Parma, Catanzaro, Vicenza, Sydney FC and Pavia. And he retired in 2010. He was 38. He was, he was fun. He was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Carboni is the answer there, I think. And he, he would be like a Lanzini type now. So you, I don't think he could quite play for where West Ham are now, but you could certainly see him in like a Brighton kind of situation or a, a Palace uh, or Brentford playing as an attacking midfielder. A lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Southampton, well, there's only really one option here. And unfortunately, he has also become an absolute lunatic in recent years. Uh, but Matthew Letizier is the, the only acceptable answer here. Uh, shout out to Ali Dia, uh, the great man of Senegal. But it is Matt Letizier. I don't know where he would play in the Premier League now. But there were some good other players. Eggy Lushtenstad was a good player. Ayel Berkovic was a good player. Always had a soft spot for Francis Benali, who just was hard as nails. Klaus Lundigvam was a good player. They must have been one of the first clubs to bring in a bunch of Norwegians. They had a couple of others as well. Um... Yeah, it's Letizia. It's Letizia by mile. I don't know who he'd play for now because there's, there's just nobody like him. When Berbatov was around, you could at least make somewhat of a comparison, but now Berbatov's gone. The league is all about hustle and bustle. If he came along now as the young player he was, you might try and turn him into a false nine and just rely on his movement and his intelligence to create space for others, but you'd certainly... Uh, you'd certainly be slogging the life out of him and training a lot more than Southampton did. And then do you get the most out of him? I don't know. Uh, right, Sunderland. God, that's an ugly-looking squad. Um, Niall Quinn. Niall Quinn. And if he came along now, he would probably either be a centre-back or a championship player. Uh, Tottenham. Teddy Sheringham, surely. Um, Tottenham, 96, 97. I would guess Teddy Sheringham with a nod of the cap to Darren Anderton. Um, 
yeah, Teddy Sheringham. And Teddy could play for anybody. He was he was so good. Young Saul Campbell there as well. Saul had the best peak of anyone at the club. Maybe it's Saul. Yeah, maybe it's Saul by that point. And I love Teddy Sheringham. But yeah, I'll say Saul Campbell. And if he played now, he'd be the second best centre-back in the league behind Virgil van Dijk. And the ideal club for him would be Liverpool next to Virgil van Dijk because you'd never, ever, ever concede a goal if those two were in the team. Uh, West Ham United. So this is where De Canio is at this point, is it not? No. Is De Canio still at Celtic at this point? Paolo De Canio. Celtic. Yeah, he was at Celtic. Right. So that makes sense. Uh, West Ham. Slavin Bilic. Slavin Bilic. Young Rio, young Frank, but their time wasn't yet. It's Slavin Bilic. He was tremendous. And again, if you had him now, he could play for any team in the league. He was just that good of a centre-back. He was also um, he was also quite the play actor, so you know you had to keep an eye on him for that. But yeah, Slavin Bilic would be the answer there. And then finally, Wimbledon FC. Robbie Earl is worth mention. Dean Holdsworth certainly worth a mention. Um. Kenny Cunningham was solid. Neil Sullivan was solid, except when he decided to wander out of his goal. Chris Perry was about 5'7 and played centre-back. So I've always had a, a bit of admiration for him. Um, tough as nails. Absolutely tough as nails, that kid. And, uh, yeah, always always kind of like Chris Perry. Um, Leonardson would go on to join Liverpool after this season. Holdsworth was endlessly linked with moves away. This was his final season there. I would say that season, Holdsworth only scored five goals, so it definitely wasn't him. That season, I would go for Ivan Leonardson. I, like Steve Stone, think he would be a right back if he came along now. Good on the ball, but not very expressive. Very hardworking. Box-to-box type. Yeah, Ivan Leonardson's who I'd go with there. And that is that. Uh, we are late today, obviously. Uh, if you need to blame somebody, blame the gentleman that asked that question. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.